Last night, it was a tale of two overtimes. And it ended really well. The story ended really well. So sorry, Tony and Mary and everybody else that doesn't understand what is real. Um, Listen, our chairman of the elders and deacons told me he's sick this morning. Texted me just moments ago. And you know what he ended his text with? Go Tar Heels. That's right. I also want to remind those two Wake Forest fans over there. I'm so sorry as well. Yeah, yeah, we got. (laughs) That's right, that's right, that's right. You do have one at state. Yeah, okay. But in all seriousness, on Friday, I was watching SportsCenter, and they, they put up a headline for a game, previewing a game today in the NFL. And the headline was, A Tale of Two Streaks. This is the game between the San Francisco 49ers and the Jacksonville Jaguars. See, the Jacksonville Jaguars are on a five-game winning streak. It's the longest winning streak right now in the NFL. And the 49ers, well, they're on a three-game losing streak. And that's the longest, the longest losing streak for them since 2021. Now, the reason I bring this up is not because I really care about that game. I think I even dropped Brock Purdy on my fantasy team, so I'm just done with the 49ers. The reason I bring it up is because when I saw that headline, A Tale of Two Streaks, I thought that is exactly what we're going to do on Sunday morning. That is what we need to call Psalm 36. We're stepping this morning into Psalm 36, and I thought, that's what we need to call it. But maybe not a tale of two streaks. I think Psalm 36 is a tale of two gods. A tale of two gods. I think that would summarize Psalm 36. And in this tale, we're going to find some truth that has some personal application to our everyday lives. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to pick up Psalm 36, a Psalm of David, We're going to read this one in sections because it is a tale of two gods. We'll pick up verse 1. I have a message from God in my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In their own eyes, they flatter themselves. Too much to detect or hate their sin. The words of their mouths are wicked and deceitful. They fail to act wisely or to do good. Even on their beds, they plot evil. They commit themselves to a sinful course and do not reject what is wrong. That's the first God. And the first God is a false God. This is the God of humans' attempt to play God themselves. That's the first God. And specifically, David is talking about this group he calls the wicked. And the first thing you'll notice from about this group, this group of the wicked, is that they have no fear of God before their eyes. Now, the word there for fear is not the normal Hebrew word that we typically see when we see that phrase, fear of God. Typically, the word is for awe or reverence or honor. And so we stand in reverence to God. That's the fear of God. But the word David uses here, the Hebrew word he uses here, is the word terror. Or tremble. And so it's not just that the wicked don't reverence or honor God. They're not even afraid of God. They have no literal fear. They think he is actually quite harmless. And I think the reason for that is this. So I just 
decided to write this one out. I think it's because they really do not believe he is God. They believe they are God. That is, the most important thing in their lives is themselves. Hence, in their own eyes, they flatter themselves. And it's not like this is a one-time thing, right? It's not like they flatter themselves once. This is an ongoing thing that has become part of who they are. If you notice, there's a progression in verses 2 through 4. It starts in the mind. They think a certain way. And then it, it starts to move into their mouth. They start to speak a certain way. And then they begin to act a certain way. And even when they're resting, they lay on their bed to go to sleep. They are consumed with themselves. All they can do is think about themselves and how to be first in the world, which means they got to step on a lot of people to do it. But they are consumed with themselves. And they are so consumed with themselves, they can't even see themselves as they really are. Hence, verse 2, they can't even detect their own sin. They literally are looking at themselves so much, they can't even see how bad they really are. They're just deceived. That's the first God in our tale of two gods. We pick up verse 5 for the next section. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O oh God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. The New King James Version there is translated river of your pleasures. River of your pleasures. Verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. So the, the other God in this tale of two gods is the true God. The God of Israel. The God who created the universe. He is the true God. And when David thinks about these two gods, you have the one God that we try to create ourselves, and that God is consumed with themselves. That God only thinks about me and I. But the true God of the universe gives. He's defined by love. And so we wouldn't be surprised, would you, that the Hebrew word that gets repeated here to describe this true God of the universe is the word that we've seen popping up all over the place in the book of Psalms up to this point. It's the Hebrew word hesed. It is Hesed that defines the true God of the universe. And just a few weeks ago, we defined this word and we used the definition out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Here's how that story defines Hesed. I think it's perfect, better than any scholar could define it. God's Hesed is a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's God's Hesed. You see, the false God of me is all about me, and I'm all about taking and consuming. The true God of the universe, that God, that God gives. He overflows. And when David thinks about God's hesed in the world, in this case, he sees creation as a massive display of God's unfailing, never-stopping, unbreaking love. And one way you see it out in the world 
It's literally, as he describes in verse 6, he preserves the animals. And he preserves people. Literally, people aren't falling out like flies all over the place. God literally is preserving life on this planet. That is an example of his never-ending, unbreaking love. This God loves. He preserves life. And more than preserving life, remember verse 8? Notice again. The, they, this is everyone that gets to enjoy God. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them the drink from the river of delights. A river of pleasures. I couldn't help when reading verse 8 that I then thought of Psalm 16, verse 11, a psalm we've already covered months ago. One of my favorite verses out of the Psalms. Here it is. David wrote this. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with the joy of your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God is literally a pleasure factory. God is in the business of pleasure. God loves pleasure. God is, has never been against being pleased. What God is against is stealing pleasures that are not lawful or trying to get pleasures outside of his will. But inside of God's presence and with him, there are eternal pleasures. There is literally a river of abundance of delight. That's what you get with God. And when you enjoy God, you get verse 9. You, in his light, you see light. You literally actually understand yourself. You understand who you are. You see things clearly. You literally understand reality when you are in God's presence and you enjoy God. So you want to understand the way things really are in the world. You don't read the New York Times. You don't watch Fox News or listen in on CNN. You get real close to the Bible. And then you see things as they really are. I'm not telling you don't go watch the news. I'm just saying, if you want to understand the way the world really is, at its most foundational level, you get the Bible. For verse 9 is, in his light, you see light. Your other option is to be so consumed with yourself, as the wicked are, and you can't even see reality clearly. You don't even understand what's right and wrong. This is the tale of the two gods. You have the wicked, and the wicked have rejected God, and they have been consumed with themselves. And you have the true God of Israel who literally overflows with abundant delight for his people. These two gods. And David ends then with a prayer. God, give us more of you. We want more God. And the wicked, may they fall down and never get up. We just want you and everything you have. Remove the wicked. He ends... With this prayer, verse 10. Continue your love to those who know you. Your righteousness to the upright in heart. May the foot of the proud not come against me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. See how the evildoers lie fallen, thrown down, not able to rise. That's how the tale ends. That is a prayer you could pray today. But behind Psalm 36 is a twist. It's a twist that is very personal. The tale of these two gods is David telling us about how this group of wicked people have rejected 
God. The true God of the universe who literally overflows with hesed, with unfailing love. The Apostle Paul tells the same tale when he, when he wrote his letter to the Romans. Let me just show you Paul's version of the same tale. Romans 1, verse 18 through 23, here's what he writes. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images to make look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. That is the tale of Psalm 36. It is the wicked rejecting the God of the universe and picking up another God, making even images that look like themselves. That's the tale of the two gods. This is just Paul's version, just a retelling of Psalm 36. But just a couple of chapters later, Paul takes that tale and he makes it super personal. Because up to this point, it just seems like we're dealing with a group of people that we want that we're going to call wicked. Right. We have the godlessness, the wickedness. David calls them the wicked, the evildoers. And we think that's a group way out there or someone over in another place. And we can look at them and study them and understand how bad they really are. But in Romans chapter 3, Paul doesn't allow for that. It's not just a group of wicked over there that have the problem. For Paul, all of us have the problem. Not just some group there, it's actually in here. Paul will write in Romans 3 that all, all, every human has fallen, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what Paul will do is he's going to quote a lot of Old Testament scriptures to prove that very point. That this isn't just a disease that some group over there has. It's actually a disease that's in every human heart. And so look at how he builds the argument. Here's what he does. Romans 3, verse 9 through 18. We're just taking an excerpt. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Well, not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles, that's every human, alike are all under the power of sin, as it is written. And here he begins his quoting of the Old Testament, multiple passages. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. He quotes several other passages of Scripture, and then he gets to verse 18. He ends right here. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There he quotes Psalm 36, verse 1. And when Paul quotes Psalm 36.1 in an argument about all humans, it tells us that Psalm 36, this tale of two gods where one group called the wicked had turned themselves, trying to play God themselves, what it tells us is Psalm 36 is about me. Not just a group we call the wicked. I have flattered myself. I have tried to play God. I've turned my attention inward. I have been deceived. I can't even see the extent of my sin. Psalm 36 tells me about me, not just them. But what's so cool is Paul doesn't end in Romans 3. He goes on to tell us 
the same tale that David told us. That God's hesed, His love, is stronger than my rebellion. God's love trumps my sin. Romans 5.8, Paul said it this way. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, you got to come be perfect, and then I'll give you your path to heaven. While you were still rejecting Him, with no fear of God before your eyes, Christ died for you. That's the kind of love we're dealing with. A love that would love you even when you were unlovable. A love that will bring you in even as you are rejecting Him. That's God's hesed. That's the unbreaking, unfailing love of God. That's the tale of Psalm 36. And Paul sees it played out in the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus and everyone that comes to Him. That's the Gospel. It's right here in Psalm 36. Now, I think it's got application for us, right? So, when I think about Psalm 36 and everything it's telling us, I think there's just one big overarching thing it tells us. And it's this. So, we'll start here. The tendency in our flesh is to think we're the most important person in the universe. I think we all trend that way. Left to ourselves, we will think we are most important. And that will play out in arguments. It'll play out in the way you think, the way you act, the way you speak, the way you gossip, the way, the way that you treat people. It plays out in every area of life. There is a tendency in our flesh, the parts of us that Jesus is still working on, where we think we are the most important person in the universe. So, in light of that, I think there are two things we got to do. Like, there are two directions we go here. Um, and so, let's go either side. Start with this. I think this is one reason why you have to keep the Bible in front of our eyes regularly so that we can remember God is God, He is where eternal pleasures are, and His love alone is unfailing. If you do not have a regular diet of the Bible, you will pick up other messages. You just will. We need the Bible to help us see clearly. Not just see clearly about our world, but to even see clearly about ourselves. We need the Scriptures. You need His light to see light. So that's one, that's one application. I think literally, like just you've got to open your Bible at some point. Even if it's the daily verse, you start there. Get Bible in front of your eyes. Once a week is great. And then you start picking it up every other day. Maybe you get daily. Point is, you need a regular diet of the Bible. Never underestimate that. The other one, the other side of this, is this. Be aware and beware of all the ways you're, that we're trained to think we're the most important person in the universe. We are regularly being trained to think we are most important. And I'm telling you, it comes in multiple, from multiple directions. It comes through social media. It comes in TV ads. It comes through TV shows. It comes in novels. It comes through friendships. And it even comes in through some of our favorite songs. So if you have Sirius Radio, you know that on Wednesday they started playing Christmas music. 
I'm very excited about this. And so I start, I pick up one of those channels, I'm listening, I'm doing something in the kitchen, I've just finished the sermon, I'm so excited about, just about the Christmas season, and then a song comes on. It's a song I really like, love this guy's voice, love the flow of this song, and then I listen to the words. These words are from the devil. And I mean it. Carol? Carol, can you put the lyrics up now? If you're hurt by what I just did, I'm even more hurt. I like Josh Groban. And I like that song. And I like the Polar Express. I like the way all that feels. But believe in what your heart is saying. Believe in what you feel inside. And you have everything you need. That's what the devil said to Eve. Before humanity fell into sin. No, do not believe what your heart is saying all the time. Your heart is often wrong. Do not believe in what you feel all the time. And if you're married, you're going to learn very quickly. You should not believe what you feel all the time. Because you might feel a certain way and then say it. And then you're on the couch for the night. Do not believe what you feel. You can feel a lot of wrong things. And in our day, we have so elevated feelings that literally we have, we have people in our world that believe they can be an animal if they feel a certain way. You can't be an animal. You can only be a man or a woman because of the way your body has been created. Your feelings do not dictate or reveal reality. Now, they are real, but you should not trust your feelings too far. And you have everything you need? No, you don't. You need God. Like, you need Jesus. Now, I know when you put this song, when you put these words in the mouth of Josh Groban, and you lay this music over top of it, and you play it along with scenes from a wonderful kids' movie, this feels really good, right? Who would ever think this was from the devil? But that message in the course of that song is exactly what Satan was telling Eve way back in the garden. I'm telling you, the message that is training us that we are the most important people in the universe is coming through so many channels. And we could not, we cannot be too diligent. In some ways, this is a fun example, because I imagine all of us at some level like that song. I probably will listen to that song again. It's going to come up. I'll condemn it as I'm enjoying it. It'll be this really tense moment for me. So when I, when I, 
when I think about, well, well, then what do you do with this? Like, do you just turn all this off? Like, do you just, like, you live in a bubble? No, you don't, you don't live in a bubble. But you do need to be aware. And you need to beware of how often we are being trained to think that we are God. And so here's what I thought about for a next step. Don't put it up yet, Carol. I got I to gotta give it its runway and I got to go quick. What I'm about to do, I have never done. I've never seen a preacher do it. And I'm sure some of you aren't going to like it. So I'll have a caveat after I put it up. But my goal is to have a little competition. So here we go. Put it up here. I want you to send me an example or multiple examples of the world training you to think you're the most important person in the universe. If you see a commercial, if you hear a song, if you see something through an app, if you see someone's post, like if Terry posts like a million selfies and just talks about himself, send Terry in, okay? <laughs> Wayne, I didn't use you. I didn't use you today. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so you so find be aware all week of all the ways you're getting messages to think that you are the most important person in the world and that it's all about you. Send them to me, okay? And then we're going to have a panel of judges who are going to judge which one's the best. And the person who wins this week gets a $10 Amazon gift card. Is that okay? Does it need to be higher? I, I want this real, I want you to get excited, okay? All right. We got people in this church that'll fund a $20 Amazon gift card if we need to. So $10, you could win $10 off of Amazon if you have the best example of the world training you to think you're God. So literally, send them in. Just like you sent those songs, send examples. I mean, try to find a good one. Now, for those of you that are like, I'm not going to compete, I'm not going to do that. Tess was one of those. I shared this example with Tess. I was like, Tess, what do you think? She goes, yeah, it's fine, but I'm not doing it. And, <laughs> okay, I, I, I said, okay, well, so for those of you that aren't going to do it, here's the reason we're doing it. Here's the caveat. Even when you're not going to be part of the competition, the goal, the goal, the only reason I'm making this a competition, that I know some of you want to win, is to prime our minds to be aware and beware of all the ways you're being trained to have the fear, to not have the fear of the Lord before our eyes. That's the goal. So all week I want you to be listening, watching. I want you to be so in tune with this, you're actually annoyed that you came Sunday because you can't enjoy anything this week. Okay? You won't be able to listen to a Christmas song now. Send them in. I'm serious. Text me, email, do something. Get it in front of me because literally... On, on either Saturday night or Sunday morning, there'll be a panel of judges. It'll probably be Rylan, Ethan, and Tess. And I might throw Micah in just for, like, a curve. Like, Michael just vote for something random. Um, but, and we'll announce the winner of the $10 Amazon gift card next Sunday. All right? I'm hoping this is fun, although I know some of you are competitive. Um, but we'll see what happens. I might, even, I might even jump in on the contest. They won't know. They won't know which one's mine. I might tell Micah, but I won't tell anybody else. Um, so this is seriously, this is this, the goal of this is that we don't go into the week and think this was just a Sunday thing. Psalm 36, the tale of two gods, is going to play out this afternoon in what you watch, what you listen to, and what you scroll through. So be aware, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way up through the week, we are being trained to believe in a false god. 
we need to hold on to the true God who alone has unfailing love. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word and how it trains us in the right direction, that in the light of your word we see reality. Thank you for your goodness, your love. And now we ask that you would go with us into the week as we are aware of so often how we are being trained to not believe in you, to not have the fear of the Lord before our eyes. Thank you for Christ and how he saves us. And we pray that in the name of him who is Lord and King, Jesus. And together we say, Amen.